from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Watch, I'm Jody Heiss, a special advisor to the president at the Family Research Council and extremely honored both to be filling in for Tony on this Thursday edition of the program and also extremely honored to have you entrusting this next hour of your time to us. Coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, a debate started today in the House over what's called the Parental Bill of Rights. Amazing that we even need such a thing, but the Parental Bill of Rights would give parents a seat at the table when it comes to their child's education. But Democrats see it vastly differently. House Republicans are considering a sweeping piece of legislation that would nationalize school policy endanger billions in nutrition funding, and accelerate the trend, trend of book bans across the nation. Unbelievable. That was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on the Senate floor today. So what does the opposition to common sense measures tell us about the priorities of the Democratic Party? We'll be discussing that with Congressman Ron Estes here in just a few moments. And the Pentagon. They had their brass trekked down to Capitol Hill this week, and they were there because they were literally being forced to address the military's deepening recruitment crisis. Uh, and, of course, they are insisting that the adoption of woke ideology is playing absolutely no role on the ongoing national security threat. There's been no detraction from the primary mission of both the Navy and Marine Corps uh, to defend our nation and do so uh, uh, in a forward-deployed manner. Uh, and I would also say that uh, General Berger, Commandant of the Marine Corps, was recently asked a similar question, and he said there was zero evidence, that's a quote, zero evidence uh, that uh, all these initiatives have impacted our readiness. So that makes us all feel better. By the way, that was Eric Raven. He's the Undersecretary of the Navy. He was testifying yesterday at the Senate Armed Services Committee hearing on the recruiting challenges that are facing the U.S. military. Well, can we believe him? First-term Missouri Congressman Mark Alford will be joining me with his thoughts a little bit later on in the program. And a Biden nominee for a lifetime judicial appointment. Let me repeat that. A Biden nominee for a lifetime judicial appointment struggled to answer basic questions on constitutional law. I was at a Senate hearing yesterday, and folks, I'm telling you, this fits a pattern for the president's nominees. Ken Klukowski will be joining us a little bit later on in the program, and I assure you, you don't want to miss that. And we have breaking news, literally just happened moments ago, coming from Nebraska, where a bill to protect minors from experimental gender surgery advanced today. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done, and there's hurdles that need to be uh, overcome. We need your prayers and support. The vice president of FRC uh, will join me, Travis w uh, Weber, a little bit later to talk about this breaking news. So we've got a lot of great topics straight ahead. You don't want to miss any of it. But if by any chance you do miss a portion of today's program, uh, you can find it and previous shows at TonyPerkins.com. So all the details and tons of information available right there for you to access now or later and to share it with your friends. And as we often discuss on the program, the acts of hostility 
that are beginning to take place in increasing numbers, both against churches and Christian ministries and individuals all across the country. Uh, We are seeing people of faith face censorship, they're being marginalized, they're being punished in many cases. And make no mistake, friends, our faith is under fire here in the United States. And so we're sincerely asking you, specifically this week, to join FRC in advancing religious liberty and equipping believers to stand firm for biblical truth. It's this week only. Your gift will have triple impact, up to $100,000, thanks to a special triple match that has been put forth by some very generous friends of FRC. So to make the most of this limited time opportunity, we encourage you to text the word FAITH to 67742. That's FAITH to 67742. All right, let's go on now to our first topic. Uh, in In the very same week that a House subcommittee assessed that the Biden administration literally colluded with the nation's largest teachers union in order to target concerned parents and refer to them as domestic terrorists. In that very same week, Republicans now in the House of Representatives are introducing a Parents' Bill of Rights. This legislation uh, proposes common sense, common sense to ensure that parents always have a seat at the table when it comes to their child's education. Because it doesn't get any more simple than that. The Democrat-led Senate is not expected to advance this bill, but when you have CRT and transgender ideology continuing to dominate the curricula of many public schools, this measure, the Parents' uh, Bill of Rights, becomes all the more important. Joining me now to discuss this and more Congressman Ron Estes. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee, also the House Budget Committee, and the House Committee on Education and Workforce. He represents the 4th Congressional Congressional District of Kansas. Congressman Estes, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Welcome back, my friend. Well, thank you, Jody. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. It's great to see you again, by the way. Uh, listen, let's uh, let's talk about this Parents' Bill of Rights. Uh, just the basics of it. First of all, why is it needed, and why is the uh, Republican GOP pushing it forward now? Yeah, well, you know, you showed that clip of uh, Senator Schumer, and, and obviously he's not paying enough attention to what's going on in the House of Representatives because he, he got the story all wrong in terms of talking about whether he's going to ban books or, or whatever other provisions he was uh, – pulled out to talk about the bill. I mean, basically what we believe and what we're pushing with this bill is that parents have a right to know what their children are being taught. I mean, parents have a right to protect their children's privacy. Parents have a right to keep their kids safe, have a right to be heard before the school board and the teachers. And and they have a right to understand what's in the school budget and and what's being spent. And, And that's really what we're talking about with this parental bill of rights. We, we saw earlier uh, last year where the Department of Justice, the Biden Department of Justice, working with the teachers union, went out and started calling parents domestic terrorists just because they asked questions at the school board meetings. And, and that's not right. I mean, this, the schools are supposed to be to help educate the children, and, that, and that's the whole public mission of what a school is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be some, some private control 
government control mechanism that they can indoctrinate kids in. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I tell you, this is such common sense. I mean, for parents to have the right to know what their kids are being taught, to have the right to be heard, to have the right for their kids to be safe. I mean, you can't get any more common sense than this. And it's astounding to me how the Democrats are pushing back. In fact, Congressman, I want to play another clip uh, from Schumer uh, on this. If you would, please play clip five. The House Republican school control bill is Orwellian to the core, and it will not see the light of day here in the Senate. If passed, schools across the nation would be forced to adhere to a panoply of federal regulations that take power away from parents and school districts. That's just well, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, give me your reaction. He, he's, he's really off base. I mean, he, he, to talk about Orwellian, I mean, that, that's the approach that the Biden uh, Department of Justice took with the teachers union and, you know, have the big government control thing. What we really want is to make sure that the, the parents can be involved with their children and that they're able to help keep their kids safe, help be able to make sure that they get a good education. Uh, and, and it's not intended to have the federal government take over uh, school systems. That, that's that's the exact wrong approach that we're trying to make sure doesn't happen and, and keeping the, the Biden administration out of school systems. We we want to continue to have schools that are that are local, that are, are run under the auspices of the states, and that uh, parents can participate with the school boards and, uh, and elect representatives to make sure that the programs actually work to teach their kids. Well, let me let me hit this question that I, I think in many regards just kind of cuts to the quick of it. And I, I think this demands that that we honestly look at this. But does the reaction from Democrats to all of this, does it somehow indicate to you just how focused they remain literally on removing parents from the education process of their children? Yeah, it, it really does. I mean, what we've seen in time after time is uh, accusations that they make about a, a particular piece of legislation that's that's being proposed by, by Republicans or actually just common sense ideas that are out there are really the ideas that they're trying to pull. I mean, the, the whole Orwellian comment that came from uh, Senator Schumer is actually a big government control uh, approach that we see over and over again with uh, my Democrat colleagues, and, and we're seeing a lot of that as well out of the Biden administration. It's really it's stunning. I did see that uh, your colleague Warren Davidson actually has introduced an amendment that would add uh, school choice to this parents' uh, bill of rights. Uh, do you see that having a chance to move forward? What's your thoughts on that issue? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a good chance that that can move forward. I mean, obviously, as, as Senator Schumer uh, said, that the Democrats are in a majority in the Senate, and it's going to be tougher to get them to, to pass legislation like this. But what we saw through the election process over the last two years, uh, first with Governor Youngkin in uh, in uh, Virginia uh, and his election there, and, and, you know, the Democrat nominee Terry McAuliffe was uh, out there saying that the parents should have no no uh, in involvement in their children's education. We're seeing the, a pushback and a groundswell from the American people that the Democrat approach is wrong and that the parents expect to be involved in, in their school, their kids' education, expect to be involved in what their schools are teaching and what they're doing. And so uh, we need to continue to push that way. You know, the education choice and education savings programs that are out there being talked about in a lot of states are, are programs that 
actually reflect that uh, you know big schools uh, become bureaucracies and and that they fail the kids because they're not allowing them to 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 learn the education they need to learn. Well, I, I understand the the debate took place today, so I'm assuming the vote will be tomorrow. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, we've got some amendments we're going to vote on this evening, and then uh, we'll have the final vote on the bill tomorrow. Okay, Congressman, we've just got a little over a minute left. Um, the, the president is switching gears, if we can. The president held a pep rally today, if you will, uh, to discuss Obamacare, and he, in typical fashion, claimed that Republicans pan, uh, plan to use the budget debate to take away people's health care. Uh, your, your reaction to what the president said about all this today? You know, it, it's really shameful that, I mean, going back to when, when Obamacare was first passed, you know, I, actually it's officially called the the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, and and it really doesn't do much to protect patients, and it certainly wasn't affordable. You know, we, we were told that, uh, you know, parents, uh, that uh, we, would, we would have reductions in our, uh, our insurance programs. Instead, they've gone up. We were told we'd keep the doctor we wanted. Instead, that's not worked out. And now what they've done is they've made it so that the taxpayers are having to pay insurance for folks that are making over $100,000. And, and that's, that's just not affordable, and it doesn't make sense to have uh, somebody uh, working as a, as a waitress or, or working as a mechanic to pay for some wealthy individual's uh, tax uh, health care. Representative Ron Estes, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch, and thanks for your tremendous leadership in the House of Representatives. Great. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends, stay tuned to Washington Watch. When we come back, we'll be discussing with Mark Alford some of the problems the military is facing with recruitment. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. An honor to be with you. I'm Jody Heiss filling in this Thursday edition of Washington Watch for Tony Perkins. As our military continues to struggle to meet recruiting targets, Republican lawmakers continue to press the Pentagon to identify what is to blame for this ongoing crisis and its threat ultimately to our national security. Military brass sat before the Senate Armed Services Committee yesterday and the House Armed Services Committee today. And though the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy will all fall short of their recruiting goals, the Pentagon continues to deny that woke ideology is pervasive in the military training or that the COVID jab mandate had anything to do with the shortfall of recruiting. So what's next? Many are suspecting we'll probably see the military lower entrance standards. Uh, Is that the answer to bolster their recruiting goals? And if they did that, what would it mean for our national defense? Well, joining me now to discuss this is U.S. Representative Mark Alford. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, as well as the House Agriculture Committee and the House Committee on Small Business. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congressman Alford, welcome to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you. Uh, honored to be here, Jody. Thank you so much. Uh, we're coming to you live from the fifth floor of Longworth uh, Office Building. We just got out of the Hask Committee uh, meeting. It was a, um, a hearing on readiness. We had the Under Secretary of Defense there, uh, Mr. Cisneros, the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. Uh, and uh, my point to him is really DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion should be DOA. We have real problems in our military, not meeting those recruitment goals, not last year. It doesn't look like we're going to meet them this year. They are trying to convince people to come in through the DEI process, and that really has no place. One of the questions that I ask them, look, is our military, the strength of our military, is it built on our diversity or is it built on our commonality? He didn't even want to answer the question. You can't have it both ways. The strength of our nation, the strength of our military is based on our commonality. And yet they're trying to push this woke ideology, diversity, uh, inclusion, and equity, not equality, but equity, down the throats of Americans. And it's nothing but dividing us as a nation, and it's dividing our military. Jody, we had another uh, hearing two, two or three weeks ago and it revealed that fewer than 9%, less than 9% of Americans' young people today have any inclination of joining the military. That's a troubling wow. number. 
That is a disturbing number. They don't believe in America anymore. They have been sold a bill of goods that we are, uh, we need to cling to socialism. Uh, we had to actually get up on the House floor a couple of weeks ago and denounce socialism. We have to restore pride in America. We have to get people feeling good about being Americans again, having pride in our nation that's worth fighting for, it's worth dying for, and DEI is not the way to do it. Well, listen, I'm so glad you were in the hearing today, and I think that's an excellent question. And that, that actually, uh, I have a clip here I'd like to throw up. If we can play sure. clip one, I'd like to get your reaction to this. All right. And let me be clear. Diversity and inclusion strengthen our military. By every measure, America's military is more lethal and ready than it has ever been. It is also more diverse and inclusive than ever before. And this is not a coincidence. All right. So he's trying to connect. Uh, Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Trying to, trying to say we are more lethal than ever because we are more diverse than ever. The two are totally disjointed. That was uh, from the, the Senate hearing yesterday. Uh, give me your thoughts. So we had four people testifying today uh, there before us, and I asked each one of them, Jody, I asked them if the enemy, a, a, a Chinese soldier, a Russian soldier, an Iraqi soldier has a weapon pointed at the head of an enemy, the United States of American soldier, does that enemy care what color we are, what gender we are, what, what pronoun we use? And they stumbled with that. They didn't really quite know how to answer that. Here's the answer, no. When you go down the road here across the Potomac River to Arlington National Cemetery, you see those uh, white tombstones lined up in row. You don't know what color people are that are lying in the caskets and coffins below. That's because they didn't die because of their color. They didn't die because of their gender. They didn't sign up because of their pronouns. They gave their lives for America. And until we get back to the point where we are colorblind and we are focused on a singular priority, and that is defending America, we're going to be in big trouble. It is time to wake up. China is the wolf at the door, the big bad wolf. It is huffing and puffing. And right now, I'm not sure that our house is made of bricks. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Congressman, and, you know, just yesterday, I, well, I, I don't know if it was yesterday or just, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just recently, let me put it this way, uh, Department of Defense doctors uh, literally pu pu published a research uh, journal uh, where they claim that children as young as seven years old can make their own medical decisions. Now, these are our Department of Defense doctors, and they were referring to this as human rights issues, what about taking care of the needs of our soldiers? And what are they doing, even suggesting seven-year-olds know enough to, to have sex changes or whatever? What, what do you think of where our uh, DOD doctors are going? This plays into the whole sick agenda from Joe Biden on down that bringing transgender individuals into the military is a good thing. Uh, when they have a higher increase of uh, suicides, a higher increase of uh, needing uh, mental uh, help when they get in, and uh, having surgeries to, to transition from one sex to another. If an individual came in with a, 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 some other type of um, condition, let's say, uh, and they knew down the road that they were going to need a surgery to uh, – fix that or to change that in some way, they would not be led into the military. 
Why are we doing this to our military? I, I love it that everyone should wants to serve our nation. Don't get me wrong. But we've got to put our nation first. We've got to figure out what is the singular thing that we should be focused on, and that is having an active, ready, lethal military that can kick China's butt. And until we get our heads on straight, we are in trouble. Congressman Mark Alford from Missouri, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Your first term in Congress. We're proud to have you here. Proud to have you on thank Washington you. Watch. God bless you. God bless you as well. All right, friends, stay tuned. Much more coming straight ahead on Washington Watch. We have some breaking news coming out of Nebraska, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, Travis Weber from FRC will be joining us to go more into this issue. We'll be right back after this break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Jody Heist is filling in this evening for Tony Perkins. We welcome you aboard. Well, we have some breaking news coming out of Nebraska. The Bill LB-574, the Let Them Grow Act, passed cloture in the Nebraska Senate today. This is the legislation that Tony actually talked about on Tuesday, which protects children uh, by prohibiting puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and gender, uh, gender reassignment surgeries and all those type of things before the age of 19. And you'll remember that one state senator there literally com built, uh, compared this bill to children of, of protecting children to genocide. Can you imagine? Here's a bill protecting children, and a state senator refers to it as 
genocide. Now, look, there are still hurdles to go as this bill moves forward to get across the finish line and to be signed into law. Uh, but we had some big breakthroughs today. Joining me now to discuss this is Travis Weber. He's vice president for policy and government affairs here at FRC. Travis, always great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, your team, uh, you and your team, all of you do a fantastic job, and I know you've been tracking this very, very closely, uh, what's been going on in Nebraska. So give us the update, including the latest breaking news. Yeah, no, so this is a very encouraging development today. I think um, it's important for folks to know that this is a common-sense measure that uh, anyone should be able to support, basically saying until children reach the age of majority, they should not be ushered into lifelong irreversible surgeries and other procedures that, that in some cases can sterilize them. I, you know, this is so common sense, yet you have some of our leaders and, and other Americans opposing this. You have leaders even in the Nebraska legislature. Unfortunately, this has become quite partisan. Thankfully, 33 uh, senators in Nebraska voted for the procedural cloture motion today. This is a, a big success, and they did the right thing. They did the right thing in supporting this bill, saying children should not be exposed to these procedures. Adults need to stand in the way of, of those who want to harm children, stand in the gap on behalf and in defense of these children, and say, no, they should be protected and not given these procedures, that all of our major professional bodies now inexplicably are lining up to support claiming to have the mantle of science, yet they don't. And this is a point that Jennifer Bowens made, testimony on the bill. So, Jody, this is a great day to celebrate the movement on the bill. There's two more votes to go. We still have a way until we're out of the woods yet, and this bill is across the finish line. But it's an important bill, and we want to celebrate the success that we saw today. Absolutely. And I want to give a shout-out to many of our listeners and viewers in Nebraska who were involved in this process as well, calling the senators and calling different uh, stakeholders here and keeping the ball rolling. So each of you out there in Nebraska, hats off to each of you. Travis, I was a little concerned that this was such a close vote today. They, as I understand it, received just exactly the number of votes needed to move it forward. Is, is, there, is it possible somehow that the, the tactics that the opposition made I literally brought some unification uh, to those who voted for and supported this thing. It, yeah, it's possible. I mean, we because they were getting so outlandish. You know, you, you're right. We had exactly the number needed. But you heard today in debate uh, things, the other day in debate, things like, you know, this is, you know, you mentioned the genocide claim. This is, some, you know, this is horrific and violating the human rights of children. We're hearing all sorts of, you know, emotional appeals by people subjectively saying, um, you know, <clears throat> my, you know, my child needs this or so-and-so's child needs this. Well, that's a subjective appeal. It's not based, it's just not true. It's not based on reality. It's not based on science, yet it appeals to the heart. So they're trying to persuade the emotions and get people to shift what they know is right, modify their views. Because people look, look at this, they know it's right, they know it's common sense. These are Absolutely. attempts, and they reached a real they, – they were almost hyperbole when you heard them. Thankfully, there were senators on our side supporting this bill saying, no, it's common sense. The state regulates other areas, cigarettes, tattoos, wearing seatbelts. There's all sorts of things children can't do that are more mild 
in, in their effect than giving a child a life-altering surgery. So, so Jody, it, you're right. We got who we needed to vote, and we encourage those members did the right thing. They need to stand strong. They need to know people in Nebraska are watching this. They encourage them to continue standing strong for a measure that's really common sense, grounded in science, grounded in reality, that we are male and female. Absolutely. Well, folks, you heard that. Those of you in Nebraska, uh, great victory today, but don't give up. Uh, there's still some hurdles to cross to get this across the finish line. Uh, Travis, I have so many questions when you're on. We have about a minute or so left. But uh, on a different topic, there are 18 attorney generals, state attorney generals, who, who have just sent a message, a letter to uh, Senate Majority Leader opposing Biden's nomination of Nancy Abudu to the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Of course, she's uh, been a part of the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, one of their attorneys, and uh, just unbelievable. Uh, tell us about this. What's going on on this? Where does it stand? Is she going to be nominated? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, she's she's under consideration right now. And, and the letter is significant because you have a good number of states' uh, attorneys general who are expressing their concern about seating someone on the federal courts of court of appeals, second highest level of federal courts, right below the Supreme Court, seating someone on the court who has the record she has. And what is that? A work in a strategic litigation director, a key position within the SPLC, a discredited organization that's now most recently been linked to having an employee charged with terrorism after, after the uh, debacle and attack on the police in Atlanta. So she's connected to people who are advancing these arguments. She's advanced them in court and made really outlandish claims about the racism in her Travis, view we're of, gonna, of we're their have to end it right there. under control. So we're thank you so much. Thank you, Travis, for joining us and each of you. We'll be right back right after the break. Thank Stay you. tuned. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Jody Heischer, host this evening on Washington Watch. We welcome you aboard. All right, a judicial candidate nominated by President Biden stumbled literally over some basic constitutional knowledge during a Senate hearing yesterday. And certainly that, as well it should have, is raising questions as to his qualifications for the position. Cato Cruz has been nominated for a lifetime appointment as a trial judge on the U.S. District Court for Colorado. But he performed literally what many are referring to as a face plant at his nomination hearing. Uh, And the the question that uh, he just crashed on involves several Second Amendment issues that, although they might be issues complex for non-attorneys, these are issues that ought to be common knowledge for a sitting judge. Well, joining me now to break all this down is Ken Klukowski. He's a former senior counsel with the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, also a former special counsel in the White House's Office of Management and Budget. He's also litigated constitutional cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. We're glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Congressman. You're very welcome. All right, I have a a clip of what took place at Cato Cruz's nomination hearing, and uh, I want to play this for you and and our viewers and listeners. It involves the Brady motion. Please play clip six. Tell me how you analyze a Brady motion. How I analyze a Brady motion? Yes. Uh, Senator, in my... uh Four and a half years on the bench. I'm not. Don't believe I've had the occasion to uh, address a Brady uh, motion in my career. Do you know what a Brady motion is, uh, Senator? Uh, in my time on the bench, I've not had occasion to address that, and so uh, it's not coming to mind at the moment what a Brady motion is. That is just—it's almost comical, but it's embarrassingly sad that an individual like this is literally literally being considered. So there's more to this. I'll, I'll let you. Ken, tell us about it. Uh, how disturbing is this whole issue? Well, this is troubling, Congressman. It's uh, under, of course, under the U.S. Constitution, as as you know, as you've done it yourself, uh, all officers in all three branches of government uh, have to take an oath uh, to swear to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, knowledge about the Constitution is then of particular importance 
to officers in that third branch of government, the, the federal court system, because when there are challenges as to whether the Constitution is being violated, uh, it's the job of that judge to know where the legal line is and to faithfully apply it to the facts of the case. And when it comes to Brady, Brady is short for Brady v. Maryland, which was a 1963 Supreme Court case, a watershed case, one of the big cases regarding the due process rights of people being accused of crimes by government, whether it's federal government, state government, local government. Uh, it's the rights uh, that a citizen has when the government, with the almost inexhaustible resources of a prosecutor's office, uh, is coming after you and can potentially be trying to put you in prison. So, uh, and, and the holding in Brady in that Supreme Court case is if the government, with its vast powers and resources, ends up coming across evidence that shows that this suspected person might be innocent, that the due process clause of the Constitution requires prosecutors to hand copies of that evidence over to the criminal defense lawyer so that the defense lawyer can make sure that the judge is properly advised uh, if this while this person is going to trial. So the idea that someone who's about to become a life-tenured federal judge doesn't know about this bedrock of the American justice system without which a lot of people could end up going to prison, not because they're guilty, but because, you know, that the single criminal defense lawyer that the suspect was paying out of his own pocket just didn't have the resources of a huge team of police officers and agents and prosecutors like the government has. And so when the government found out evidence that this guy might be innocent, uh, but for Brady, they wouldn't necessarily have to give a copy of that over to the defense. And obviously, then, a terrible injustice could result if an innocent person ends up being convicted. Yeah, that's my that's my whole question with this, Ken. Uh, you know, the, Brady is not some legal obscurity. This is something that every attorney at this level should know like the back of their hand, that uh, the, it, it falls with the innocent until proven guilty. And if in the process of a trial, evidence come, comes forward from on the prosecutor's side, hey, this guy's in it, then they are required to give that information over to the innocent person's attorney. How concerning, disturbing is it that we could potentially have an individual, a district judge who wields the power literally to put people in prison and this potential judge doesn't even know this most basic constitutional protection. I, I think it, it raises some troubling questions, and obviously the Senate's going to have to work its will, and we'll see what senators on both sides of the aisle ha have to say about this now. But this is not some sort of procedural uh, uh, quirk regarding due process. This really gets to the heart of the Due Process Clause, where, where, where the Due Process Clause is about fundamental fairness. It's about, it's about what sort of procedures are considered to be foundational to a system that is just, that a person cannot be deprived of their life or their liberty or their property without due process of law. And the whole idea that if the people trying to throw you in prison 
come across evidence or maybe even proof that you're innocent. The, the, the idea as to whether the defense should be aware of that so that they can make the judge aware of that, that's one of those items that I think for a lot of people just sounds like common sense. It just sounds like fundamental fairness, fundamental justice. So I really see this as a as a bedrock constitutional principle, even if it were not a major historic Supreme Court case, which, of course, it is. Well, extremely well said. So so let's just let's break this down a little bit further. The fact that Cato uh, did not know about uh, the Brady motion, does this say more about Cato or about President Biden uh, nominating such an individual? I think it says something about both. Uh, it, it, it certainly raises questions about the vetting process, but it's but not knowing not knowing something, you know, like a like what is Brady v. Maryland? You know, what is a Brady motion? Uh, that's that speaks to the knowledge of the nominee and the idea that this sort of thing would not be caught during the vetting process. That says something uh, about the uh, about the Biden White House. Uh, and then, because I don't know if we're transitioning into this point or not, but I'll say to then confuse Brady, which is about due process. With the Second Amendment, which is a different fundamental right in the Constitution, suggests that he doesn't know much about that fundamental right either. (laughs) And some people might be concerned that we're starting to see a pattern here. Yeah, that's a great point. In fact, had we played more of the clip a while ago, it it went on. And like you just said, he was confused. He was thinking Brady had something to do with the Second Amendment. So he doesn't even know about the, the most basic constitutional provisions protecting innocent people, uh, but evidently he doesn't know a whole lot about Second Amendment uh, issues and constitutional law from that perspective. You brought up something interesting, Ken. I want to I come back to this because I think it's, it's interesting and I'd like to explore this a little bit more. You said that this is a, a pattern. All right, so this is fitting some sort of pattern, this nomination coming from the, the Biden administration who we all know has been so committed to nominating absolutely radical uh, individuals to people radically committed to the far left-wing agenda. Uh, That's what primarily his nominees have consisted of. So to have someone like this so seemingly unaware of constitutional law, uh, does this fit the pattern that, that Biden has demonstrated in the nominations he's put forward previously? Well, I think that's a growing concern, Congressman. Uh, And uh, first of all, with this nominee, you know, first it's the Fifth Amendment Due Process Clause and the Fourteenth Amendment Due Process Clause. Then it's the Second Amendment, right to keep and bear arms. So you see a pattern with this individual. It's a question of how many other fundamental rights is he not aware of that it would be his sworn duty as a judge to faithfully uphold. But then as we look, comparing him to other nominees, as you were just referencing, uh, as I quote in, in, the, uh, in the news story that I wrote uh, earlier today, this comes on the heels of another judicial nominee uh, who was asked, what's in Article I of the Constitution? Now, you know, it's, that's something that non-lawyers don't need to know. Uh, but lawyers need to know it and judges need to know it. Article one, as you would know well, having served in Congress, 
that lays out what the powers of Congress are. It, it lays out the uh, the categories where Congress is able to pass laws and how members of Congress are elected, and what their term is, and who's eligible to serve in Congress. And everything about the functioning of the legislative branch of the federal government is in Article One. And this nominee didn't know anything about Article One. Then she was asked about Article Two. Well, that's about the powers of the U.S. president. That's about the structure of the executive branch and the duties of the U.S. president, including his sworn duty to see to it that the laws are faithfully executed. She didn't know anything about Article 2 either. So there you start to see an, another pattern. Uh, and again, the Constitution, whether it's the powers of government, like in Article 1 or Article 2, or whether it's specific rights of citizens, like we see in the Second Amendment, in the Fourteenth Amendment, in the First Amendment, free speech, religious liberty, all of those issues, all of that, all of the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. So if there is one area of law where we really want to make sure that every judge knows that area of law, it's the U.S. Constitution that we need them to know. Absolutely. Well, Ken, thank you. Uh, you're spot on with that. I do want to shift gears, but I want to real quickly one more question before we, we change. The uh, Senate Judiciary Committee has not yet scheduled a vote on uh, Cruz nomination, but historically uh, these type of positions are pretty, uh, they're pretty hard to reject or at least uncommonly rejected. So what do you kind of expect is going to happen at the end of the day? Well, we have seen a number of very controversial nominees uh, from from this president, not just for the federal courts, but for you know, senior administration uh, positions as well that, that have been confirmed many times on a party line vote, sometimes with a handful of Republicans uh, crossing over. So you're right to, to see a nomination to the federal district bench fail uh, is certainly uncommon. Uh, but I think it's an issue of we're, we're going to have to see. Uh, this will be a, a, a you know this this will perhaps show how committed Senate Democrats are to to walking in lockstep and supporting the president no matter what. Uh, I think this will be an issue of seeing what what discipline uh, Chuck Schumer has as Senate Majority Leader in terms of keeping uh, senators in line. But I think there'll also be questions regarding a number of uh, moderate Republican senators as to whether this is something that they uh, uh, that they want to take a stand on. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I think so. The jury is still out on this. Yep. Okay, well, it is going to be interesting, but if there's ever a time for the uncommon to become common, now would be a good time. If I can, let me switch gears. We've only got a, a couple of minutes left. But yesterday, the uh, dean of the Stanford University Law School released a 10-page letter uh, in which she announced that there will be no consequences for those students who heckled and silenced a federal judge who was speaking on their campus the other day. Uh, your thought on that? Uh, no disciplinary action for these students. I think that's completely shameful. Uh, it is when you're being considered to be a lawyer, getting a law degree doesn't make you a lawyer. Uh, you have to get your law degree. Actually, some states don't even require a law degree, but generally speaking, you have to get a law degree. Then you have to pass the bar exam, and then you have to pass other eligibility requirements, including having a character and fitness, including having a character and fitness committee 
that that uh, that says you are fit in terms of your integrity, in terms of your temperament, in terms of your professionalism to be an attorney. Uh, the idea of an attorney uh, heckling a judge uh, is is astounding. That's the sort of activity that if you're a licensed attorney and you were to do that to a judge in his courtroom, I mean, you could be stripped of your law license. You could be disbarred for something like that, for that kind of conduct that's that's unbecoming uh, an attorney. So it is, I, I think this gets to a real issue as to whether these people can be expected to act in a professional and respectful manner, including occasionally doing the duty of having to faithfully represent someone whose views they might not share, but it's still their duty to do a good job of articulating those views to the to the court and to the judge, and if they don't respect opposing views and don't respect the judges who are deciding those views, uh, I, I don't see how the the legal profession can uh, can work if it has people like that in it. Well, and you think that many of these students are in one day in the not too distant future, very likely going to be arguing in court, or some of them actually wearing a robe while they're judging others, uh, and the fact that they've heckled and silenced a sitting judge is extremely, extremely disturbing. Ken Klukowski, as always, it's an honor to have you on Washington Watch. Thank you for keeping the torch ablaze. Thank you for joining us this evening on the program. Thank you, sir. God bless. God bless you as well. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. We thank you for joining us. Hope you have a fantastic day. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.